So we're going to be covering the majority of the chapter, but this is a should be a familiar story because it is the feeding of the five thousand. It's the two signs: so feeding the five thousand, and then Jesus walking on water and uh, comes up to the disciples in their boat. Because this story is the only one actually that is in all four gospels, the way it is actually. So it's important apparently where all of them. Decided to put it in there, which, you know, they they weren't just copying each other, but they, they understood that it was important. So, as this is called, it's called the, the holiday, holiday dinner plans. And so, again, you know, Christmas is on Friday, or Christmas is on Saturday, so Christmas Eve is, is Friday night. And so, people are probably pouring into people's houses or, or making traveling plans to go, perhaps, see friends or family or whoever. And so, we're all... Getting into that mindset, some of us just maybe hoping whatever we praying and wondering what we're going to eat by the people who are making the meals, right? That's kind of where I'm at. I like that. I'm good. Um, because I like food, we're Baptist, that's what we do, right? But really because this, again, this centers around Passover. So the meal, the Passover meal is a big deal. And so it's interesting because I, I didn't really look at too far, but... It's interesting that they didn't have a traditional festival or, fe- or meal here. So it, it's near the Passover festival. So that, this isn't a full-blown Passover Seder meal like you see with the whole table and the lambs and everything else. But this is what John is really doing is foreshadowing stuff to come. Right? It's really kind of what he's using this as. And he, does, he marks time in his gospel by the festivals. Especially the Passover because the Passover is kind of that bigger festival. So he's marking time with this. And so... We're going to see how Jesus, again, he feeds, you know, it's 5,000 men. So, you know, again, like we've been over this with Mark, where that could mean somewhere between ten to 15,000 people total, perhaps. You know, with women, children, whoever else were there. Um, so, anyway, he feeds a lot of people with very, few, very small, very, very limited resources initially, right? So, we're going to go ahead and read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. That, that kind of sets up the whole the whole scene and then we'll go through the rest of it as we go. Um, don't worry, it's not as long as it sounds, by the way. They kind of trimmed some of it down. So, John says this, after this, so after this events in chapter 5, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. They had a couple names. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up, on, up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and he noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked us to test him, for he himself, so Jesus knew, what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each each of them to have a little. But one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? We're almost there. Andrew's almost there. And Jesus says, people, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place where they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. 
Right. So they recognize who Jesus is. At least on some level, they recognize that something miraculous just happened. And he must be a prophet that was foretold that he can just miracle up a bunch of bread and have 12 baskets worth left over, right? So here's the main point of this. The main idea is just that Jesus offers you an overabundant supply of grace and life, right? Jesus offers you an overabundant supply of grace and life, right? He started with two, you know, five loaves and then he ends up with 12 extra baskets, and however many fish, and I, I can't remember if it said how many fish. But anyway, they had a lot more food left over than they started with. And people thought that it wasn't possible. So we're going to look at this. And so it's all about the host, right? And so every time we go, when we go to people's houses, we want to be gracious guests because our host has invited us here. And so Jesus essentially, even though the people followed him, he didn't turn them away. He said, all right, well, we'll invite them in to my home, which happens to be the field right now. And so he says, here you go. So we're going to prepare this meal for them. But you know, he, asked, he asked his disciples how this is going to happen. And so they have to come up with some ideas. right? And of course, the disciples represent us. We can all be a, a disciple or an apostle and say, oh, that's me. So John moves this story along in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. But he gives us some important information. And again, he says it's the Passover feast. So again, this is like the biggest event in the Jewish calendar and one commentator I read said that this is also kind of became sort of like 4th of July also. This was their time to say that we're Jewish, right? So especially being under Roman rule, they said, look, we're going to celebrate this. This is what we do. And, and not only the fact that we're celebrating our Jewishness, but we're also celebrating our, our escape from bondage from the Egyptians, right? So this whole holiday, this whole holy day, the whole week is a huge production, right? They would say that Jerusalem would swell, the population would swell to like two or three million people during the, Jerusalem, during the Passover because everybody came to Jerusalem or at least once in their lives or if not more. So again, this is a big deal because this is the Exodus, right? So this is when God controlled the sea to open the Red Sea, to part it for the Israelites to leave. And also later during the Exodus when they were wandering in the desert, God fed the people with manna from heaven. And so here we're going to see that John is flipping these events. We're seeing that because Jesus is God, he is flipping the events and he's saying, well, first I'm going to feed them, then I'm going to, then I'm going to walk, I'll, I'll control the water in a minute. Right? And so we see these things at least very loosely tied together with the Jewish idea of what the Passover is and does and what happened to who Jesus is and what he's doing. Right? And so that for, for them, for the Jews especially, that's a huge connection. For us... Because we're not tied so much to the, to the Exodus, we don't have that idea necessarily. But it's important that we understand from their standpoint, that's what John is getting at. And he's also writing to people who are Gentiles because we see it, because he says in verse 4, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, right? So people may be, like we're aware of what the Passover is, but we don't really know. Right? We don't do the meal. One, one year I think I'd like to have somebody come in and we do an actual Passover meal. I think it'd be kind of interesting to go through the ritual and everything else, just just so we kind of understand of, of what the you know what the Jews do and what they go through. But here, you know, John is flipping in. So John is recording the fourth and fifth sign. So the fourth sign is the feeding of the five thousand. The fifth sign is him walking on water. So again, this is the only story that's recorded in all four Gospels. And so again, this is important because of those ties to the Exodus. I think because the Exodus is the single most important point in Jewish history. So everything goes back to that. 
So in the Passover tradition, though, the father leaves the household on the night before Passover on a search for all the leaven, and they have to get rid of any of them they find. And so this might be a little bit of a loose copying of that action where, you know, Jesus is asking, hey, how are we going to feed these people? We have people coming over. Do we have enough food in the pantry? Right? Where's all the bread? What are we going to feed them for this? Because for the Passover, there are certain, certain th or, uh, elements you have to have for the meal. Everything's very scripted. And of course, Philip, he's kind of the more logical person. He, he might be the, the logistician. He's kind of us getting, getting the group from one a, point A to point B, right? He's like, well, we need to go through here, go through there. We need to have money. We need to have food. So he's mapping this stuff out. He looks at this crowd, you know, five to 10,000 people. You're talking small stadium worth of people, right? A small AAA baseball team or, or hockey team worth of people that you're looking at going, wow, that's, that's a lot of people. So he's like, uh, well, we don't have enough money, right? We don't have enough money here. It's going to cost at least 200 denarii, but even that, we don't have it. That's not even going to be enough if everybody has a little bit, nor is Albertson's close enough to run down. They're not open to get the bread, even if we did have the money. Right? We just, we can't run down to the store. We have to do every store in the town to bring enough food, and we just don't have the resources, right? How many of us kind of feel that way sometimes when God asks us to do something, I don't have enough money. I don't, I don't have enough time. I don't have, I'm not good enough. Right? I'll go to church when I'm good enough. Well, that's never going to happen. You're never good enough. You just come to church now. Right? Come. Bring your friends. Bring them because you'll get made good when you come here. You'll made, you're made holy through Jesus. So there's no need to wait. Right? So some of us, though, are like Andrew. He's like, well, hey, there's a kid over there. He's got five loaves and two fish. That won't be enough. But maybe we could chop it into little tiny pieces. You know, everybody gets, you know, like our, when we had our, the little, uh, our cups with our Lord's Supper stuff with the styrofoam in it, a little bread, whatever it is. Right? Everyone will get a little square and a little tiny sliver of fish, and then maybe that'll make them happy. These people just walked around the, the sea to find Jesus. They're probably pretty hungry. You know, they, they want food, but, but at least Andrew's trying to come up with some kind of solution, like, well, hey, maybe we could ask him for the, and we have enough money to pay for that. And it's interesting, too, that when you're reading this, right, John gives this comment in verse 10, there was plenty of grass in that place where they sat down. It's kind of an odd comment a little bit. It's like, who cares? Like, why is that detail important, right? But, but really what I think is that, because when you're sitting at dinner, the point of it is, is you have everybody at the table with you. So on this grass, there's enough place for everybody to sit to be included in the meal. Right? Nobody, there's no little kid's table you've got to sit at with, with everybody else. Like, or, you know, scratched up on a little tiny folding chair you know, with a little short table and your knees are hitting it because you're just old enough. But you're not old enough to move over to the big table, right? So, so what I think John is saying here in a sense is like, look, there's enough room here at the table for everybody to be here. Because this is... This is the time to celebrate, but at the same time, there's just not enough food. But maybe they'll sort that out when they get there. Right, but, you see, but, Jesus is the host of the meal, so he gives thanks to the Father. He goes over, gets the bread from the kid, bread and fish. He gives thanks. He doesn't pray, dear God, let this food be enough. It sounds like he says, dear Lord, thanks for providing this kid here with the food. So this is a prayer that he may have prayed, and this is what they pray during, um, during Passover, one of the stages. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, 
Blessed are you, O Lord, our King, King of the, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to eat unleavened bread. Right, so he may have prayed a similar prayer. That's a traditional prayer for the Passover. And then all of a sudden, he breaks the bread. And he says, all right, here, guys, pass this all out. You know, Mark and all the, all the Gospels, they kind of give, they give a little bit of a, a more detail. But during the Passover, there's a whole process to eating the bread. And so when the host breaks the guest of honor's bread, they dip it together in the cherisheth, I think I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, uh, which is a sweet, dark-colored paste made of fruits and nuts eaten at the Passover cedar. I looked it up. If you, look, if you want the spelling, I can, spell, I can give you the spelling afterwards. I looked it up. It looks pretty tasty. It's like, a, like an apple and walnut pasty something or other. So it looks pretty good. I think I might try to figure out how to make it, actually. Because there's a bunch of recipes for it. Um, and you also have these bitter herbs because there's a whole other thing with that. We'll do it later. But, so, you to, so the guest and the host dip the bread in there and they eat it. And then the guest in turn breaks his neighbor's bread and they dip it together. And they keep repeating that down the line, right? Because... Nobody went on the Exodus by themselves. They went together as a tribe. They went together as a nation. Because the Exodus was part of the thing that re-solidified the Israelite nation of God's people. And it didn't just include Israelites. There were also other people, Egyptians and other, other people who were slaves. But all these people were included here. And so Jesus has now fed roughly ten to 15,000 people with five loaves of bread which were broken first. And he didn't pass out whole loaves. He didn't just throw the pita breads at people like Frisbee's. Like, hey, you guys break it up. You guys share, right? He broke it. And so again, the giving thanks and the breaking of the bread or the body sounds very similar to the night in the Garden of Gethsemane where he offers thanks to the Father. And then on Good Friday, his body is broken for sinners. And so John, I think, is... is foreshadowing this and that's what Jesus is doing because again we're getting into the bread of life discourse later that you have to have eternal life through him and so again we all know how the story ends right these people here in the moment don't and don't know what's coming but we as hearers of the story know already know the story or we should be familiar with the story so everybody gets their fill everybody has they have leftovers and John says when the people saw the sign they said, this is true that the prophet who has come into the world, but all of a sudden, Jesus is like, uh-oh. They want me to become the king. They want me to go into Jerusalem and overthrow everybody. So i got to get out of there, right? And so Jesus travels. He, he goes up to the mountain. He leaves the party. He's like, oh, i got to go for a few minutes. He goes up to the party, or up, up, up to the mountain. So starting in verse 15, so Jesus goes up the mountain, and later the disciples go down the mountain. They go down into the sea, and they get in their boat, and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. So it's unclear here if they had a plan. You know, if Jesus says, hey, if I disappear, we'll meet you on the other side or whatever the plan was, meet me at this rendezvous spot or whatever it was. But maybe he disappeared. Maybe they were used to it. Either way, one commentator points out that Jesus' reason for leaving here, at least in John's gospel, the way John is, is bringing these things up, is that he was leaving to avoid any political expectations the people may have dreamed, dreamed up for him. Right? They were like, well, you're the prophet, you're the Messiah, you're the guy, so let's take you to Rome. You can overthrow the government and get them out of there and restore the kingdom and we're all happy. Jesus knows partly that his time has not come yet. So he knows that's not what he's here for. He's not here for a political rally or a political, any kind of political thing. He is here to give himself as a sacrifice for sin. 
And so the experienced fishermen leave the shore. And then John gives us one sentence in John's sentence in John 6, 18. So the high wind arose and the sea began to churn. You know, John was a fisherman too, so he kind of knows what that's about. Anybody who's living there knows what this is about. So the geography of the where the Sea of Galilee is causes storms to come up very quickly. And they cause pretty good-sized waves. Because it's kind of a shallow lake. they got cliffs on the side, and then the winds come down and kind of pick up the water, basically, and it starts moving pretty good. Kind of like in a bathtub, if you start swashing around, you get to, like when you're a kid and you're trying to wreck your boat, you have it in the tub, you're trying to do that and flip it over. That's kind of what happens, but it's a lot scarier if you're the tiny person on the big boat in the giant sea, right? So the same thing actually happens, it still happens today, so one commentator pointed out that the power boats are periodically warned to stay off the water. And I pulled up a news story from last year, actually, during near Passover, it said, Nearly 80 swimmers had to be rescued partially because of the winds that whipped up the water and the waves and they like pushed them out to sea or pushed them out further from the shore and everything else. So this is still going on today. This is, the, the Lake of Galilee is not, has some, has, hasn't calmed down. Right? This is a legitimate, pretty good-sized body of water even though it's like 4 by roughly 12 miles long. <clears throat> so nothing changes with this though. right? People are still sinners and the Sea of Galilee still gets very windy and choppy. So the guys keep rowing. They're like, okay, we just got to keep rowing. Get through this storm and get, get back to land. So they were about three miles out, and it's dark, and they look and they see Jesus. And they're walk he's walking. He's probably making good time. I think a lot of times you see it in the movies, he's, he's, he's not strolling. He's like, I'm going to the boat. Like, he's strolling. He's moving. Right? He's moving with a purpose. And then John says they were afraid. So Jesus identifies himself. He says, it is I. It's me. Hey, look, I'm here, right? So... With the, in the Greek, it works out to be the same statement as I am he, or simply I am. So he's kind of giving them a little, a little bit of a heads up. He's saying, look, it's me, I am. So he's already made, made bread out of a little bit of bread, a lot of bread out of a little bread. And now here he is walking on the shore. And when he gets in the boat, John says, in a flash, basically immediately, they're on the shore. Boom, time travel, whatever it is, however it happened, Boom, he's on, they're on the shore. Like, what? If you're on that boat, what would you be thinking? How did Jesus get down the mountain so fast, get across the water so fast, and how do we get to the land so fast? When Jesus wants something done, he'll move it quickly. He'll move you quickly to get where you need to go. He wants you. Earlier, right, earlier in the evening, Jesus fed 10,000 people, and now tonight, Jesus comes out of nowhere, onto the water, in the middle of a storm. He calms it. And then they were in the middle of the sea, and now they're on land. Done. That's impossible, right? You can't have that. John's just telling stories. Well, they have no reason to lie with this. They don't have any reason. And so as an aside, though, right, John may be really saying that while we need to have the sea parted for us, Jesus commands it to the point where he can walk on it. You know, because God probably, during the Exodus, could have had us just, everybody, walk across the water as well. But he said, no, you need to be on the land, I'll part it. But here, Jesus says, I'm not going to move the water for you, I'll just get on top of it and go. Right? He is in complete control of the natural world. And so Jesus is so much greater than worrying about who's in charge of the earthly kingdoms, right? Because that's what the crowd wanted. They were, they were worried about what was going on in their lives. 
This is what's going on in my life today. The president's an idiot. The pre you know, whoever, whichever one you want to say is an idiot. That doesn't matter. This guy's an idiot. This person's doing it wrong. This person's doing it wrong. The world is a mess. He's so much bigger than all that. I'm not saying he doesn't have time for that, but he is bigger than all of that. The crowd wanted to waste Jesus' power on getting rid of the Romans, but God used the Romans to rid the world of sin. They put him on the cross. They crucified him. So they had a hand in that. He uses the Romans to spread the gospel to the rest of the world in the coming centuries. Now you have the kingdom who is, the empire who is crucifying Jesus to the fact that they become Christians. They become, you know, with Catholics and then everything else splits off. We know that, but, but that's how God uses his enemies. He said, fine, if you want to be that way, I'll just bring you in and use you the way I need you to use you. So when we think so small, we are wasting God because we think God is small like us. I can't miracle up a bajillion pieces of bread out of five loaves. I can't. Neither can I, neither, probably neither can you. But the Bible tells us something completely different about God. God is huge. God is bigger than the universe. He made the universe. If you've seen pictures, if you don't, I think I've seen it, said it before, but if you ever want to see how big the universe is, universe is look up the size of stars. And there's usually, you'll end up pulling up a, a drawing or a picture of of like our star, our sun versus like Alpha Centauri versus some other ones as you go out into the universe and they like our sun is really like a baseball or a softball size and like Alpha Centauri is like a baseball size kind of sun right on, on a scale kind of that's how big and these things are hanging out in the universe with planets and other stars hanging all around that's how big the universe is how big God is bigger than that he is huge and he is stronger than the sea and he is stronger than you and me and so the crowd comes back up in, in verse 16 or 26. So this, the host is saving the best for last year because he's, he's coming back in and bringing, them, bringing the crowd in once more because they're looking for him still. Because who wouldn't want free bread, right? Hey, I want more of that bread that I got. That was a great dinner. I'm coming back over for dinner tonight. I hope you have leftovers. Like, oh, I just got rid of you. Right? They got a lot of it. They have earthly, because the, you know, the bread was there, but they want more of it. Because in order to survive, we need to eat, right? We have to have calories in. We burn off the food in some form of exercise or work or whatever it is. And since we have to eat, we might as well eat good food. Right? Most of us probably have some kind of restaurant. Like if you had to only eat at one restaurant the rest of your life, you'd be like, yep, that's the one. Chick-fil-A, that's it. Going to Chick-fil-A, Lord's chicken every day. I'll take two on Sunday, like manna. Because I can't go there because they're closed. Why? Because they think it's good. Because you, you know, we all have that favorite restaurant or food or whatever, whether we cook it or buy it or whatever. That's the what we want to have all the time. Because it's good. And so this is kind of what the crowd seems, I think, now, where they, they wanted more of it. They wanted more of what Jesus had to offer. But they were only looking for the food. And so Jesus had an abundance of food, which is unusual anyway. Because going back to the 200 denarii, you know, this is not enough money to buy, but that 200 denarii was about eight months worth of wages for a person. So you had to work eight months to save that much money because you got about a, a denarii a day or so. So the people had found someone special and they wanted more of what he had to offer, but they were only interested in the physical nature. And so when Jesus is talking to them in verse 27 through 30, he says, don't work 
for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who has sent, or one He has sent. <laughs> this is... This is, this is crazy, right? What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? I kind of wonder why John, and maybe Jesus just has like super self-control in this situation. Because I feel like, were you guys just not all here yesterday? Did you guys just not eat all the food that I miracled up? That's the sign, right? And then they probably, they kind of alluded to the fact that they were curious on how Jesus got to, the, got to their side so fast. But he's like, he, he kind of just goes on with it, right? He said, what can we do? He said, this is the work of God. This is what you do. Believe in the one he has sent, verse 29. So Augustine points out that your belief or your faith is a work of God. So God requires it, so he gives it to you. God wants you to pay the bill, so he gives you the money to pay the bill. He doesn't expect you to just come up with it on your own. And he, said, he goes on further and says, so that he who takes glory may take glory in the Lord. Because what our faith does, our faith glorifies God. And so Don Carson, theologian, points out that the faith we must exercise is the fruit of God's activity. So here we see this horse and cart thing where, again, we have to believe, so we have to exercise this faith. We have to use what God has given us to, to be able to say, yes, I believe. Right? There's, that, there's that tension all the time where God makes it all happen, but we still have that point of decision. We still say, I believe, right? We still have to have that. And that's how they fit together to make sure that we still exercise our free will and God still exercises His sovereignty. He doesn't force us and we don't just give in or whatever. We can say, yes, I believe because I, I see what God has done. And so in verse 30 again, he says, what sign are you going to do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Because they didn't see the bread come from heaven. They just saw it come from the little boy and he miracled up how many fish and bread. But Jesus corrects the crowd, reminding that God gave them the manna, not Moses, because they're looking at it like, hey, Moses was our Savior. But he's saying, no, God gave you the food. God gave, made it all happen. Moses was just there to kind of help out. And so the people may have elevated Moses' the status equal to God, and they forgot that God was leading them and providing them for them in the wilderness. We see that this is what happens with the golden calf incident in Exodus 34 and 32. Moses went up the mountain, and they said, well, what do we do next? Well, let's make a calf, and maybe the, maybe the statue will tell us where to go. Defies logic, but I know we do the same thing. Well, God's not here. Let me ask the TV. Let me ask the internet. Let me ask the radio. Whatever it is, let me ask some inanimate object to get me somewhere else. Instead of remaining true and faithful to God and saying, all right, God, I'll wait for you here. I will wait. Because we are all terrible waiters, I think. As a, as a species, as a human being, humans, we are not good at waiting. We want to do something. We want to do action. -y. We want to get going. But God sent the law, and then God sent the way to fulfill the law and provide and restore eternal life. And so he, the way, was sitting in front of the crowd speaking to them now. Like, I am the bread of life. I am him. I am from heaven. He sent me, right? This whole idea from John's gospel is about being sent. Jesus was sent. And so John, 
he's trying to bring the people in, and so he, Jesus is not getting the response in a way he, I think, he wants, or he most likely he knew that most people are not going to get on board with this, right? Because in verse, starting in verse forty-one, the crowd's like, "Hey, wait, we know this kid, we know this guy, isn't he Joseph and Mary's son? Well, we know where you grew up, we know what you did as in high school. We have that, we have your dorky high school yearbook picture." Well, come out here like you're all cool now, right? How could he be sent from heaven when we watched him being raised in Nazareth? Like, I watched you grow up. I know who you are. There's no way. This doesn't make sense to me. Right? They look just like Philip. Right? They're pushing back because they're thinking only in terms of how things are known to work. Well, you were born normally. You came to the world the usual way. We don't get it, right? All the stories hadn't been necessarily filtered down to the, their time this stuff was happening, so they don't know about the Christmas miracle story, right? They don't know what Matthew 2 and Luke, all the stuff that we, you know, we're going to read on Friday, that Jesus was born, all the angels, everything else. They don't have that stuff captured yet, so they're just looking and going, we don't know how he got here, but we know he's a normal human being. Right? They let their ideals of what the Messiah would do, right? they think what he would do, oh, the Messiah's going to do all these great things. What they thought cloud the actual facts of what he will do and actually what he was doing. Right? A lot of people, again, they thought he was there to reestablish the kingdom. That meant kicking out the Romans. Jew, the Israelites would be in charge of everything again. Right? They didn't understand what his true purpose was in coming. But now Jesus is freely and openly teaching them who he is. He's not really hiding this other than using the metaphor of the bread of life. Right? This isn't hidden knowledge. This isn't something you had to be there that day for. Right? It's written down. We hear it. But this isn't special knowledge you get. And he's doing it in the synagogue at Capernaum. Right? He's in church teaching this message. Saying, I am the bread of life. I am the one God sent me. And so then Jesus foreshadows what will happen and he explains why he has come. He was sent to give his body and blood to the world to give eternal life to those who have faith. And so he contrasts it with the manna that sustained the people, the Israelites, for a while, but it did not provide them eternal life, right? Moses died, Jesus lives. Right, notice, we could say that Jesus lived but he's still living. He's still living and sitting on the throne. He was resurrected. He came back from the dead. He is now sitting seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the audience hearing John's gospel, right, as we are his audience as well, we should know that is a major difference. Moses died. He passed away. But Jesus died and he, he was put in the grave and he rose, he rose again. We serve the risen Lord, right? During Easter, He is risen. In, he is risen indeed. That is our kind of, I don't want to say mantra, but that is the call and response that we get. Because it's a miraculous thing. No other God resurrects. Or there's a few through all the mythologies, but very, very few. And nothing has withstood the test of time like the Christian faith. Because Jesus wants the people to partake in his Passover feast. He wants you to take and eat the bread because he is the bread of life. He wants you to take him and, and you know, take and put him in your, in, your, in your life. He is the one who offers you freedom and forgiveness. It is the greater exodus, both in terms of numbers or the, and the group of people and what you're escaping. So what do you escape? When you accept Lord Christ as your Lord, you are escaping your past. 
People may try to hold it over your head. Well, we know you're so-and-so's kid. We know what you did, right? They kind of do that same thing. We, we remember you from high school or college or work or whatever. But that's not who you are now. That's who you were. But you escape your past when you are forgiven. You escape your sins. You escape your bondage to them and the hold that they have over you. And that is good news. And you may hunger for the bread of sin because it satisfies you for a minute, but then you realize it is going to kill you. So like John Owen says, you better be killing sin before it kills you. And so when you become a citizen of God's kingdom, you live with the king. That is where you're going. You are escaping eternal damnation because that is a very real place. But it's not because of what you did, but because of what God did for you. Both in terms of the one you place your faith in and the fact that you have the faith to spend it on Jesus. And so that is what we're doing here. That is what we hear. And so, so Jesus wants you to enjoy the gift of himself. And that is important for this Christmas time. We put that in perspective of why is Christmas a big deal for us Christians when the world does it too. Well, the world passes over a lot of the stuff that Jesus is the one and he's the reason he wants us to enjoy the gift of grace that God has given us. So wrap it up. Jesus made the world... Jesus gave himself to the world, and Jesus remade the world. Right? And some of that is, some of the remaking is still future tense. But we know this, and he did all of these things because of his obedience to the Father. And the Father sent Jesus out of grace and love for his people. And again, that is what Christmas is about. The fact that God gave his only son, his one and only son to us, his unique son to us, as the gift of grace to atone. Atone for our sins. So if people have curiosity about why we celebrate Christmas, what's the deal with all the things, or we can explain that is what Christmas is about. It's not about, you know, we give gifts, but that's why we give gifts, because we were emulating our Father. So as we go out this week, as you're gearing up for everything, you know, hopefully we can have these conversations with people that may not know, or maybe they sort of know, because as a, as, you know, secularly or, or culturally, Everybody kind of knows what Christmas is about, but they don't really realize it, maybe. And so it's our job to help them realize or really come to that realization of what Jesus has done for them. And maybe, hopefully, they have questions and you can walk them through that. If not, invite them to church on Friday, and we will do it then. All right, so as the guys come up for our songs, our last two songs, right, think about that. Think about... You know, do we, do we keep Christmas in mind like that, or is it just all about the, the excitement and the hubbub of people coming? Because it's more than just the meal, but it's what's around it. So thanks. Let's go ahead and stand.